Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Yes, you will hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more importantly, you will take away real ideas to apply in your own life. My friends, the goal here is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you, yes, you, can truly live inspired. On today's show, on today's episode, I get to introduce you to a number one national best-selling author of the book, Retire Inspired. I love that second part, Retire Inspired. It's not an age. He's a popular speaker. He's a successful radio and podcast host. He's my friend. His name is Chris Hogan. He's with us right now. So my friends, are you ready? Put your hands together to welcome our newest member to the Live Inspired studio, Chris Hogan. Chris, welcome to our our network. Well, thank you, my friend. I am honored to be with you. Well, and my friend is the appropriate title. I've heard you speak a couple times, Chris. Follow you online. I love everything about what you share. And maybe more than all, I love your voice. So to share your heart and your (laughs) baritone with us today, man, it means a great deal to me. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you very, very much. Brother Hogan, for those who may not know of your great work yet, tell our listeners a little bit more about you and, and, and a little bit more about your work. Sure, absolutely. Well, I have had the privilege of being a part of Dave Ramsey's team uh, for almost 11 years. And so I get a chance to travel around the country uh, speaking to companies and audiences about money, business, and leadership. And so it is absolutely a thrill uh, to be able to go give people information that, when applied, will help them start to make progress in the various areas of their lives. Tell me about that piece, When Applied. It sounds like you almost put emphasis on that. Yes. Well, I, it's one of those things, John, you know, where you look at stuff and you understand that information, uh, for just information's sake, is simply just information. But information that gets applied in your life time and time again gives us an opportunity to, for it to become what's called wisdom. And I think wisdom is the difference between our yesterdays and our tomorrows. Hmm. Tell me about your today, so not yesterday or tomorrow. Tell me when you're not at work, when you're not inspiring people to be even more effective with their money, their business, and their leadership, what what else keeps you busy? Well, I tell you, I can tell you right now, it's my wife. Uh, I've been married for 19 years. Uh, we uh, have three boys, 12, 11, and about to be 10. And so those three boys keep me busy, uh, keep me running and gunning with their sports activities and their friends. But above all, I understand that my time that I spend with them, I'm pouring into them. I'm trying to share with them because I want them to become productive young men in society. And so I I, I spend a lot of time talking with them and, and really trying to understand what they're thinking and how they're thinking so I can understand how I can share my experiences, my mistakes uh, with them so they understand that dad's not perfect, but dad understands he's perfectly capable of improving. And that's the thing I want them to understand. Uh, Well, 
it's been said, Brother Chris, that all all of us have a story, all of us, and it's frequently not the story that we're telling the world. So today on our show, what I'd like to do is just start off not by talking about the great work you do or the remarkable book you recently wrote, the podcast that you have, but take us way back. What's it like growing up a young version of Chris Hogan? Well, you know, the younger version of me was surrounded by successful people in my family, uh, especially athletically. And it was one of those things where we were a very tight-knit family. Uh, my grandmother was the matriarch and my grandfather, obviously, the patriarch. But we were a very close-knit family. Uh, we were constantly competing. Um, I was constantly sizing myself up to my older and much more capable uncles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was for me growing up, it was almost like I had five or six dads uh, and several moms between my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt. Chris, where were you geographically? Uh, I grew up in Kentucky, uh, a little town called Versailles. It's spelled just like Paris, Versailles, but I promise you it's pronounced Versailles. I believe uh, you. <laughs> so right in central Kentucky in uh, horse country. What, what was life like in Versailles and outside of athletics and uncles and family and, and sports? Tell me, just give me a sense for the community. Just a small little country town. Um, you know, one of those areas where, you know, you made lifelong friends, uh, you typically were, you know, connected with them in grade school and you grew up with them. So you got a chance to know their families and their family dynamics. And, you know, you're able to share life with people, uh, which looking back on became really some very foundational relationships for me. You mentioned you were involved in athletics, at least with your family. Were you also involved with it as a, as a, a young kid in school? I was, I was. I actually, I grew up, you know, playing the the t-ball, then on to baseball, and then football was my passion and my love from fourth grade on. Uh, and then I ended up wrestling a little bit and doing some track. So I was constantly involved in competition, uh, but also being connected with friends. Was there a coach, Chris, back in your childhood, whether that means seven or seventeen, that was really influential for you? You know what? I have had the privilege of having several coaches that truly fit that bill. Um, And it was one of those things I reflected on uh, several years ago, sitting back, and somebody asked me, they said, why are you the person that you are today? And I simply, quite frankly, told them, it's because of family, the love that we shared, um, and the men and women that were teachers that pushed me, but also coaches. And and I I look back on it, I realize that teachers are simply coaches in an academic environment, Mm -hmm. Uh, that that people that are pushing you, they're not doing it just to hear themselves talk. They're doing it to help you reach your maximum potential. Mm. So when you shared that answer, was there a name, whether that's a teacher, a coach, uh, an uncle, anybody that just kind of leapt off that storyline? that reminded you of the ability a teacher or a coach has to dramatically influence a young man's life? Man, there were several. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously my grandmother was a very, very key part of my life. Uh, My grandfather with his example, um, and then moving on through my uncles, but coaching wise in, in, in in high school, um, you know, coach Joe Carr was my wrestling coach. Uh, was a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator. Uh, Coach Sam Simpson in football um, was someone that that really kind of helped me start to dream bigger. Mm. Um, He wanted me to understand that I had some opportunities, but I would only have those opportunities if I applied and I grew. 
and uh, he didn't want me to rest on my laurels. That's what he told me. He goes, Hogan, don't be a prima donna. He used to use that phrase. And, John, I've heard you use that I phrase. like this, Coach. But, but I had never heard that phrase, and I honestly didn't know what he was talking about, a prima donna. And I asked some buddies. I think I may have been a sophomore in high school, and I said, dude, what is a prima donna? He goes, I don't know. It's just somebody that thinks they're all that. Yes. And I thought, well, ah, okay, well, I don't want to be that person. So he kind of laid the foundation of, of what I – me starting to dream – but also understanding that it, it, it ain't about you. You know, if you're part of a team, it, that number on your jersey is only an indicator of a small part of the whole. Tell me, keep, keep walking me down the path of the whole. When you leave high school, what do you do next, Chris? Well, I, I, I leave high school. I end up going to Georgetown College, small Baptist school, about 30 minutes from where I grew up. Uh, it was the last place I thought I would have gone. I had dreams of going to the SEC uh, to play football, and I got some partial scholarships, so my ego took a couple shots. And my pastor had attended Georgetown, and he said, Chris, why don't you go over there and visit? And I thought, yeah, you know, I agreed to it. And, of course, you can't lie to a pastor, right? <laughs> if you agree to go, you got to go. And I get over there, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I met the next stage of coaches in my life. Uh, the ones that would truly begin to put some cement around the blocks. Other people had helped me start to build, but to help me solidify who I am and where I'm going. Chris, many of our listeners are teachers, and they uh, many of them work on universities. I've always thought, though, when you do a university campus tour, uh, most campuses want you to fall in love with the buildings, the statues, the flowers in the spring, the trees turning in the fall. And yet it sounds to me like what you fell in love with at Georgetown College may have had a little bit less to do with that stuff and more to do with, like, the fabric of the people there. I I would say without a doubt that, you know, while the campus looked great, um, for me, I understood what I was trying to accomplish. Um, I think I had begun to understand that I'm only going to get better hanging around people that have something to share uh, and who are willing to push me. And so sitting down and talking to the coaches there, uh, for them to lay out their goals. I mean, they firmly talked about there had never been a national championship won at the school, and they were trying to bring in the right people to help accomplish this major goal. Your drive back then, Chris, uh, you know, for a high school kid, you're 17, 18 years old, is there something that you were chasing or, or some was there some motivation in your life that you were just compelled to pursue excellence? You know what? I, as you asked me that, I was literally thinking in my mind two things. Number one, I told you I came from a very competitive family. Yes. So my goal in my own personal mind was to help raise the bar. You know, like my uncles had accomplished some good things and even some great things. I had one uncle that was an alternate on the Olympics uh, back in 88. And so in my mind, I thought, this is my chance to make a statement. I want to do my part for our family's athletic kind of legacy. Uh, The other thing was is that I did not want to be a Ben brother. Now, here's what I mean by that. My mother told me growing up when I was 11 or 12, she goes, Christopher. Now, whenever she said Christopher, Johnny, yeah, you understand, I paid attention, yes. okay? Because Christopher meant I was either getting ready to get some wisdom or maybe a whooping, okay? One of the two. <laughs> so I needed to focus. I need to pay attention. And she goes, Christopher, uh, you've had uncles that had great athletic talent. Uh, you've had people all in your family. She goes, I just want you to understand something. I don't want you to be a Ben brother. And she said, I don't want you to be a would have been, a could have been, or should have been. Uh, so you need to focus and make sure you're well-rounded and you give your effort at all times. 
and I'm actually writing that down. I, Chris, when I interview guests, uh, I'm always looking for one takeaway. If, if I can hear one idea that would shape what I do today and tomorrow and beyond, man, I think it's certainly worth our time together, and I, I know it's worth our listeners' time. So the idea of not being in that Ben brother tagline, it's something I think we all want to be. So not a would have been, could have been, should have been, but someone who's actually taking action and doing life well. Your, your mother certainly had a lot of wisdom. You, Chris, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a speaker when I'm not on the podcast. I've heard speakers all, all 50 states, all, dozens of countries. You're one of the most profound and articulate, not only in the words you say, but in the way you say those words and when you use them. What do you attribute your use of, of language to and, 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 and the ability you have to sing it out? I probably would have to go back. Uh, to my coaches, uh, the ones in life, uh, whether academic or athletic, uh, they, they did such an incredible job of painting pictures. Um, I'm a very visual person, and so, you know, keeping my attention was a challenge back in those days. But when they would start to talk about the goals and the things that you want to accomplish, um, they would talk about you have to visualize them, you have to see it. You know, you've got to understand what your work is going toward. Is it worth all the things you're going to give and the things that you may even have to sacrifice? And so for me, I I guess being the recipient of these people that saw more in me than I saw in myself, I understand the power that we have with the spoken word uh, when delivered with the right attitude and when grabbed a hold of Mm. by people with the, the desire to improve. College, just, just since we're talking sports for a moment more, did, were you ever successful in bringing that national championship toward, uh, toward Georgetown College? Oh, yes, sir, we were. And you notice I say we because it was a team thing. Uh, it was my junior year uh, on campus. Uh, we were able to win it uh, December 21st, uh, 1991, uh, on our home field. And uh, we brought the school their very first national championship, and I literally remember celebrating with my teammates on that field like it was yesterday. And Chris, what sport? Uh, this was in football. And I um, uh, just had an opportunity. I, I've got a picture in my office of me hugging my head coach uh, because it was one of those. It was his very first one. Uh, but he was the one that planted that seed. Uh, he was the one that started to push us and to get us to think differently. And uh, it was uh, it was a profound moment. Uh, it was one of those things of where you get validation. Yes. And you understand dreaming big uh, is necessary. But my goodness, the work you have to put in, if you're serious about it, uh, will either lead you closer or lead you right on the doorstep of that opportunity. One, well, uh, the reason I love sports actually has very little to do with takes place literally on the field and everything to do with what it means for us off the field. And I have a feeling this idea of pushing yourself to a cause greater than yourself, along with colleagues uh, arm in arm with you affected not only the way you showed up on the gridiron, but also how it made you show up Chris in the classroom and what, what drove you forward in life. What, what was your goal outside of football success as a young man? Well, I had pretty much decided, I think by my eighth grade year, that my goal was to go into the FBI um, one of the neighbors of a friend that had moved into town a few years prior, his father was an agent, and I had a lot of time talking with him and watching how he carried himself and, and some of the things he got to do that he would tell us about. But I was just intrigued. Um, I love the idea of being a part of something bigger than myself, again, mm-hmm. you know, another version of a team, uh, but also doing something that's worth something. 
Um, I, I didn't want to just work a, a regular nine-to-five job. I wanted to be a part of something that was trying to accomplish something for the greater good. So walk us down the path. Did you join the FBI? I did not. I actually went through, uh, went in after uh, Georgetown, uh, had an opportunity. My head coach took a new job up in Pennsylvania, offered me a full-time uh, coaching uh, position, and they were going to pay for my master's degree. And so I ended up moving up there, uh, got a chance to coach and still be around the, the sport, but I was in pursuit of my master's, which was then going to end up leading me closer to getting into the Bureau. And so um, by my uh, the close to last year of finishing up my master's degree, had an opportunity to connect with a couple of mentors, a couple of other agents uh, that were in the field, and they began to kind of shine the light on the not-so-glamorous part of the Bureau. And it was literally like, you know, the Lord closing that door and redirecting me to my next thing. And that's one of the things I would love for your listeners to hear, is that, you know, oftentimes we know the path we want to be on, mm. uh, but I want people to be open to opportunities, open to the what may seem like a detail tour, and it's actually not. It may be connecting you to the new, bigger journey for the end goal. So, man, let's talk about that new, bigger journey for the end goal. You, in some regards, have your heart broken. You're, you're an assistant coach. You're doing your thing. You're getting your master's. You're moving toward the FBI. And then these colleagues, these friends, in many ways, coach you away from that. Probably yeah. broke your heart in real time, but what, what did it open up for you then as the path unfolded? Well, I tell you, it made me go through a period of waiting. You know, it was one of those things where you can imagine since eighth grade, I've had this goal and, you know, to be able to open your eyes and be able to see that and hear the not so glamorous part of it. Um, it, it was literally, yeah, like this period of not knowing, you know, what was next. And so being open and it caused me to reach out and get more mentors uh, in various areas to open up and start to talk about the things that I wanted to accomplish. And so I, I guess that period of being vulnerable mm -hmm. and even somewhat disappointed uh, kind of laid the foundation for me to make a decision about what's next. You know, oftentimes I think we wait. We either have this thing we want, and if it doesn't come fast enough, we get frustrated, yes. or we don't know what we want, and we're sitting and waiting, and we can get irritated. And I think either one of those, the frustration or irritation, uh, can get us prepared to be mature enough to grab this next opportunity or to pave our own way. I think we just have to make some decisions. Uh, that we're not scared of working, uh, we understand what it is we want to accomplish, but more importantly, I think we have to remind ourselves of why it's so important to us. As you go through this period, Chris, of waiting and the frustration and the irritation that always follows that, whether you're on the highway or you're waiting for the job interview to finally come to fruition or whatever it may be, this weight that so many of us deal with each day, you're using yours as a beneficial time rather than this time to become a victim to it all. But as you, as you look back on it, what, what were you waiting to happen next? What were you really hoping might, might come your way? I, was, I think I was waiting on clarity. Um, I knew there were a lot of options out there, but I knew ultimately I had to make some decisions. Uh, and this probably takes me uh, to one of the more profound moments in my life. Uh, it was my senior year in college uh, where I had a few options of things to do. Uh, before I chose the grad school, and I'm talking to my grandmother, and uh, I called her Nan. I'm walking through these options and trying to get her to tell me, give me some wisdom mm -hmm. on what I needed to do next. And and she gave me a, a lesson that I'll never forget. She said, honey, you need to grab the opportunity and avoid the chances. 
And I sat there for a second, kind of shell-shocked, because I was like, wait a minute, what, what? And she said, you need to grab the opportunity and avoid the chances. And I sat there for a while, and it, just processing this. You know, a chance is 50-50. That's like a coin toss. But an opportunity, when pursued, will lead you to somewhere better. And that was my process of deciding to go to grad school, uh, because I knew no matter of uh, ankle injury or knee injury, nothing could take away that master's degree from me. Mm. Uh, and it's not so much about what I decided to do. It was the framework for understanding how to make decisions. And so literally fast-forwarding back to this time where I'm in Pennsylvania and about to wrap up my master's degree, I started to lay out the opportunities, what was in front of me, mm -hmm. what was the path I wanted to go, and what was the direction I didn't want to go. And I think that framework, uh, she had no idea the wisdom she was sharing with me, but that framework started to help me make some more conscious decisions uh, and then understanding what I want and why it's so important. And I never allowed anybody to take me away from my goal. You know, I didn't allow anybody. You could make deposits into that, into my energy chasing it, but I never allowed anybody to tell me I couldn't or I shouldn't. Uh, that was none of their business. That's not the direction. That's not what I was trying to accomplish. As a kid and as a young man, were you were you always as singularly focused as you come across today? Were, were you always able to not let the wind push you down and the opinions of others blow you back and and the little things that can so easily Chris derail the rest of us you know you're, you're african american guy growing up in kentucky you're making the sports teams you get your masters degree you keep moving on even when people are saying the fbi is not for you rather than allowing this all to derail you it seems to in fact blow you forward i think john all of us have a little chip on our shoulder um, for me, it was one of those where I think, you know, uh, just, again, growing up in a family that was athletically inclined and hearing all this and all that, I think for me that chip was probably the little bit more like a boulder. Um, it was one of those that I wanted to prove what I could do, but not just on the field, also in the classroom. Yes. Because one of the things that frustrated me was this whole concept of dumb jocks. And uh, that was one of those things that always irritated me as well. And so I, I think internally, thinking back on it, maybe I was trying to, de you know, debunk some myths uh, to, to set this clear understanding of what people really can become. Mm -hmm. uh, and for myself, failure just wasn't an option. I mean, I didn't mind not succeeding. I just wasn't going to fail. And I think the fail part is when you don't get up or you don't finish running toward the thing you're trying to accomplish. Tell me the difference between failing and not succeeding. Well, I think if you fail, I think it's something where you don't accomplish your goal and you stop. Um, you allow other people to dissuade you or you just lose your, your focus. Um, I, I think not succeeding means that you try very, very hard. Uh, you give 100% effort, and maybe you don't reach the goal that you were looking at or you were trying to accomplish. But I think when you get some maturity and some wisdom, you start to understand, even if I'm in pursuit of this thing, then it moves me down the path and I'm improving. And I think the thing that I see now as I've aged a little bit is that people are watching us. Uh, people, whether they say yes. anything, your friends or family, but people are watching and they want to see how do you handle tough stuff? How do you handle difficult things? And so understanding that my example will speak louder than my words, it just makes me stay and remain very aware. Mm. So you choose uh, upon finishing your master's degree to do what, Chris? I choose to go into banking. 
um, I've decided that the business route was something I wanted to do, and here's what I wanted to create. I wanted to get in business and eventually own my own, but I wanted to create a true team atmosphere. Uh, What I was going for was the kind of environment we had our national championship season, Mm -hmm. uh, the team, the process that we created. And I realized it was our team uh, back in college, it was less about the X's and O's as I look back on it now, and I understand it was about the relationships. Uh, It was about the coaches caring enough Mm -hmm. and and us caring enough about each other that helped us to be more successful than we would have been just on paper. Mm. Tell me about the banking gig. The banking was interesting. Um, It was one of those things. I got to combine two loves. Uh, At that time, the love of money and then the love of people. And so trying to build something. So it was a new opportunity to plug in and to learn something I didn't know. But I understood it was something that everyone needed. You know, everyone was in need of of dealing with money or handling it. And so it just started to really kind of grow in my mind. And I'd always been an entrepreneur, you know, even in grade school and on into high school. So it was an opportunity for me to gain some wisdom so I could get ready to own my own business one day. Chris, tell me how you back then were helping people. Uh, d- discern and understand the real value of money. What what kind of work specifically were you doing with this this first career? Well, early on, and I don't think I was necessarily helping people. I mean, I was doing the traditional banking, okay. uh, which was, you know, we would do the loans at the beginning of the month, and then I got to go out and collect on them at the end of the month if people weren't paying. And so uh, that, that was uh, one of those really eye-opening type of scenarios. But it was for me uh, doing consumer finance type of lending, uh, merchant uh, relationships, things of that nature with jewelry stores and furniture stores, as well as people coming in and out day to day. Well, I would imagine the experiences back then have formed uh, solidly within your mind and heart the framework that you guide people through today. Oh, it really did. I mean, because back then I'd look at the screen and people were just an account number, you know, yes. uh, zero, one, two, three, four, five at this dollar amount. Um, and then what I grew to learn was those account numbers actually had names um, and those names actually had faces and those faces had families. And I think that was the Ph.D. that I got in the business world of truly starting to understand things don't aren't always as they appear, uh, but that people are attached to the end of these things. And people go through some tough things in life, um, and people go through some hard things in life. And so I got a chance to make a decision or uh, choose to be the kind of person I'd want to be in that scenario. And uh, that brought me a lot of grief from my yes. superiors. Uh, but these people, they, they mattered you know, uh, because I'd met their family or had seen their family. And so now when they were walking through something, I looked at it a little bit different than the average banker. Tell me when you made a shift from working in the traditional banking space to uh, kind of going off on your own and, and beginning to do the work that you're doing today. Well, it was literally one of those where um, I moved from consumer finance uh, into more mainstream banking. And so um, working with a regular people, you know, that needed help. But then from there, that's when I had ventured out and, and opened up my mortgage company uh, that I ran for several years. Um, and it was an opportunity to get out and to do my own thing firsthand, but it was more so about building something uh, of value. Then you had the downturn in the economy with uh, the real estate side of things. And that's when I had this opportunity to connect with Dave and really become a part of something that was probably even bigger than I imagined. Mm. And so then that's when the true educating really came into play. 
you know, uh, I'm not bad-mouthing banks, but ultimately banks are looking after themselves. Uh, plugging in here, it was a matter of truly trying to provide hope uh, and wisdom and guidance to people uh, that were in need of it and wanted to get better. Why are we so in need of hope and education around finances? And the real question, Chris, is why don't we teach this stuff? Why is Dave Ramsey and the organization that you help work with one of the only channels where you can really figure out how to handle the resources that you've been fortunate to receive? You know, it's one of those things where I think money is um, – it's hard to tell how people are doing. Uh, because on the surface, we only see the exterior. Um, we don't know about the money fights at home. Um, you know, somebody can be dressed head to toe and proud and look like everything's okay, and, and then at the end of the day, they don't have two nickels to rub together. Um, the reason we're not teaching it, I don't know. I know we are with our education solutions are truly trying to make an impact, uh, truly trying to grow the curriculum that we're doing in high schools. Uh, to prepare these young people before they enter college. Uh, we're also teaching the college course uh, that young people, young adults can take. And so it's just one of those things that regardless of if you're 17 or 77, you know, we all need money to be able to provide for our families. And the thing that I've learned is that if you don't have a plan for your money, somebody else will. And so it's a matter of being aware and just plugging in and learning these basic skills that almost seem really, really simple. But when people start to plug in and learn it, you understand it's really about 80 percent, you know, your effort and it's 20 percent head knowledge. You know, Chris, so much so much of our story of our podcast is storytelling, narrative, life experiences. And yet when you, you come to an issue like this, that uh, a little bit of information can go a long way. I think it's worth hitting pause and, and allowing you to share some of your experiences and some of your knowledge with me, because I need some help, and our listeners. So do me a favor. You said it's really simple, some of these, some of these things. G- give us some examples of some way that we can become even more free with our finances. Absolutely. Well, I would say the first step is is just understanding and tapping into what is it you ultimately would like to accomplish. Um, I'm talking about the goals. Uh, In my book, Retire Inspired, I I tap into it. I call it dreams. And I want people to have high-definition dreams. What's the thing that motivates you? And it might be that you have kids and you want to provide for your kids and your grandkids one day. Uh, Maybe you're single and you would love to be able to write a, a big check to your college or your university. Or maybe you've got something you want to do in your community. Uh, a park that you would love to build or something. But I think tapping into our dreams is step one. Uh, the next step is what I call Hogan's AAA process, right, when it comes to money. Now, the AAA is this, assess, acknowledge, activate. And I'll repeat it, uh, AAA process, assess, acknowledge, activate. What I want you to do is to assess your current financial situation. You know, what are you doing well? What needs to be improved? And then what I want you to do is acknowledge that, hey, better is available. You might can take some steps, and maybe that's with budgeting, uh, which is a key area. That's us telling our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Mm -hmm. And so the third is activate. That is, we have to do something. So once you assess your situation and you acknowledge that better is available, then you want to activate a plan of action that's going to move you in that direction. And so with the AAA process, budgeting is a crucial, crucial factor. Uh, Getting out of debt, uh, understanding that interest that you pay is a penalty, than interest that you earn as a reward. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 let's not sign up to be penalized with a credit card or a car loan. 
Let's sign up to be rewarded with our savings, our investments, things of that nature. And see, those little steps right there, when you get out of debt, you give yourself a raise. You don't have to go ask your boss. You don't have to go work any harder. Let's just keep more of your money with you by understanding that debt is a thief. When I was sitting in Dallas uh, at a conference with Dave Ramsey and a whole bunch of other presenters, you were one of the leaders who came across stage. You shared a story that in many regards was a turning point in your life financially. You went into maybe a family member's house, and I think you were looking for something, a cup, a bowl, something like that, and you reached up and you found something that that completely caught you off track. Do you remember the story I'm asking about? Oh, I sure do, and that was with a client. Would you mind sharing Uh, that story for our listeners? Not at all. Um, Essentially, the the long and short of it was a client of mine uh, had come in and and was trying to get some help financially. Um, I I coached him, and he just wasn't at a point where he was ready to receive it. Um, And then a few weeks go by, and he calls me and begs me essentially to come back in. And you could hear it in his voice. He was much more focused now. And he told me a story that I'll never forget. Uh, he said he had gotten up early um, and uh, to go over to cut his favorite aunt's grass, and uh, wanted to get hers cut before he cut his own. And so he gets over there and he's cutting the yard. And mm. He cuts part of the front yard and part of the side. And it was lunchtime, and uh, he went to his truck and realized he had left his lunch on his counter. And so he thought he would just go in just to grab something quick to eat in her home, and then get out there and finish cutting the grass. Uh, the problem was is that when he went and looked in the refrigerator, there was really nothing of any substance. Uh, in the left cabinet, there was really nothing. But then in the right cabinet, uh, there were seven cans of dog food. And it was the process of him explaining this to me and walking me through it, and I'm not tracking with him. I don't understand why he's telling me this. And then he drops the bomb on me, literally. And he said, Chris, all she had was seven cans of dog food. And I said, I heard you. And he said, but the problem is that she doesn't have a dog. Mm. And it was one of those moments sitting there letting those words sink in. You know, she doesn't have a dog. And I'm thinking, well, why does she have dog food? And he's literally looking at me with tears in his eyes, almost begging me to get it so he doesn't have to say it. Right. And then the air leaves the room when I'm able to finally mentally connect the dots. And um, the seven cans of dog food were there because that's what she was eating. Uh, this was her retirement reality. And just the look on his face, um, the disgust, the hurt, the sadness, the frustration. He didn't know how long this had been going on because on the surface for her, everything looked like it was okay. Right. And so that was the moment for him, his wake-up call, I call it, uh, where he understood that he had to get himself situated and he had to help his family members. He didn't want this to be something that moved forward. And he really was a turning point for him. But it was also one of those uh, heartbreaking moments for me that I recall. Um, it was one of those where I'm sitting there and I'm hearing this man tell me the story and I'm wishing I could unhear it, but I couldn't. Um, and that literally became the catalyst for me to write my book, Retire Inspired, because I wanted people to understand you know, that just reaching a certain age doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. There's not a, a, a magic elf going to show up and save our day. We've got to be intentional. We are the result of the steps that we take and the education and information that we apply. And I wanted people to make sure that they didn't find themselves in that type of situation. When ladies and gentlemen hear your podcast, I know you have a massive following, when they read your book, what are a couple 
ideas, lessons, takeaways that you hope time after time, page after page, they hear loud and clear? Well, I, that I hope that they understand that we don't want to make excuses in life. We need to make progress. Um, and that's one of my taglines for my podcast. Don't make excuses, make progress. And all I mean by that is, is regardless of where you are, one step forward, my friends, is called progress. Just one step. And so I want people to keep stepping, uh, whether it's in your career, uh, it's in your marriage, in your parenting, um, in your financial situation, whatever it is, just take that one step forward. And then the next day, work to take another one. And I think we, we need to understand we're not a, uh, it's not a, a matter of us being all about the events. I think it's more about the decisions that we make each day. Mm. Chris, for those who want to learn more about your work, your book, your podcast, where can they tune in? They can catch me and get everything about all the stuff I'm plugged in on just at my website. And that's Chris Hogan, C-H-R-I-S-H-O-G-A-N 360.com. So that's Chris Hogan 360.com. Have you, has any, I, I'm sure, Chris, that you've received emails, letters, calls, handshakes, hugs in the back of the room. Can you, can you share with us as I get ready to turn the page from learning more about your story to the, the Live Inspired 7 questions that tie all of our guests together? Can you share a story, though, of someone who was in, in a rut? They had almost given up on themselves, given up on the progress, taking the next step, and then they, they heard an idea. They grabbed onto a, an ideal. They took a step, and then an, another one, and then another one, and then what became in their life. Are, are there any examples that you can share of uh, real-world cases of impact through the steps you yeah. provided? Well, there are uh, one lady in particular at an event, but before I tell you about that, I have gotten a, I get letters and notes in quite often, uh, but there are three of them that I've saved and I've laminated. Mm. Um, uh, one, one essentially is saying, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your encouragement. Now I believe I can. And, and that to me kind of epitomizes that my travel way out to the West Coast, uh, I may have gone all the way out there for that one person to now start to believe that they could. Mm. Um, one person sent me a note, and, and literally it says, thank you, and there are about 22 exclamation points at the end. Um, and the other one that I keep... That is, one was signed by O'Leary, by the way, just so we, we don't need to be anonymous anymore, Hogan. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. At least I know now. Uh, and another one told me that uh, they sent a, a note in, and it says, dreaming in HD, and they said, I see it crystal clear which tells me they heard my message about dreaming in, in just clear vision, high definition, seeing every detail of it and chasing it. Uh, the one that jumps out at me was uh, uh, during one of my Retire Inspired events, um, I was doing a book signing, and there was a mother there uh, who was probably in her 40s, but she had a little 10-year-old boy with her. And she came up and she asked me to sign her book, and I'm talking to her and talking to the little boy. And as I signed the book, I asked her who would she like me to make it out to. And she said, make it out to my son. And she goes, because I'm, I'm coming here for him. And she looked at me in my eyes and told me this, this, this sentence, and I'll never forget it. She said, the cycle ends here. Hmm. And she walked off. And I'll never forget it. I went out and I did my event. And I went and uh, at the end of the event, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I thought, that step, that decision, this little boy will never know what could have been. 
But I saw the resolve in that woman's eyes when she said the cycle breaks here. John, what she was telling me was is that maybe her family had never handled money well, and it had just been a cycle that had kept going. Or maybe she had at one point was married, and maybe money was the reason for the breakup of that marriage. And you could just see in her eyes that money had been a pain point in her life. Mm-hmm. But she was holding the hand of her motivation, her son. And for her to tell me the cycle ends here, what she was saying is is that now she was going to grow forward mm. uh, so this little boy would be able to go forward. I'll never forget it. Uh, I wish we could say I'm going to drop the mic on that one. Unfortunately, and fortunately, we can't because we have the Live Inspired 7 to follow. But, man, the cycle ends here. I think for all yeah. of us, whether it's regarding finance or abuse or alcoholism or putting your term, whatever you want to throw out there. That's right. Uh, may, maybe maybe that's the quote you needed to hear today. The cycle ends here. So, Chris, thank you for sharing that. H- Hogan, what's the best book you've ever read? Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I would have to say uh, the best book I've ever read was going back, and it was dealing with uh, Norman Vincent Peale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a positive thinking book, and I, it may be the power of positive thinking. I think you're right. That that was the book that my defensive coordinator gave me my sophomore year in college. And he told me to start to – he said, don't just read this. He said, read it and apply it. Uh, and I would back your coach's ideas up. It's a great starting book for those of us on the, uh, on the beginning side of the journey of inspiration and leadership. Tomorrow, Chris, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103 years of age, leaving you with millions what would you do with that newfound wealth? I would probably figure out um, how I'm going to give a large majority of it away. Um, how do I create and pass on his legacy? Um, it doesn't change what I'm doing day to day, but I would reach out and get wise counsel and start to set up things and understand that this was a blessing and I would not ever want to waste it. Mm. If your house caught fire and all living things and all living people were out, you had an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, Chris Hogan. What one thing would you go back in the house for? An item, an heirloom, photo, whatever it might be. I'm going in to grab, and John, I'm going to change it up for you because I'm going to grab two things. I'm going to grab a quilt my grandmother made me when I was 10 years old. Uh, that it took her in a year and a half to make. And I'm also going to grab my grandfather's cane because those two items are right close together. They are reminders for me that where I come from is not an accident and where I'm going is not an accident either. Oh, man. All right. So you got the cane, grandmother's quilts. And uh, question number four, Chris, is you have uh, an opportunity to sit on a bench on a gorgeous day overlooking the beach and have a conversation, a nice long one with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to have that conversation with? I would love the opportunity to sit with Dr. King, Hmm. uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and find out what in this man caused him to go against the norm and to stay so focused despite so much persecution. I would want to know more about that man's heart and his mission. Uh, Chris, I think you'd you'd find yourself staring back at a reflection of yourself because I, I when I read him, I, I feel like I'm reading you. And when I read you, I feel like I'm reading him. And it's a compliment to both of you. And what you should also know is my, my mother was John O'Leary's Live Inspired first ever guest. 
I asked her these same seven questions you're answering right now. I asked her, Mom, who do you, who do you want to sit next to on this bench? And she looked at me and right away said, gosh, Martin Luther King Jr. She was, she's always been fascinated by his uh, life and, uh, and his legacy. Yes, absolutely. So you're, you're in good company, man. Uh, three yes, more questions, am, Chris. What's the best <laughs> advice you've ever received? Um, I would probably come from – I've already told you about opportunity versus chance, so that's big. The second one would come from my defensive coordinator, Coach Ernie Horning, who gave me the, the positive thinking book. And uh, the lesson he taught me was don't make excuses, make plays. <laughs> Uh, and my friends, in case you're not a 17-year-old boy with knee pads on right now, I don't think this is just intended for football players. So, uh, Chris, now through that lens, will you say those words one more time as you coach up the ladies and gentlemen listening in? Yes. What he, my defensive coordinator, Coach Ernie Horning, told me uh, that day center on the field as I was trying to make excuses about why I didn't make this tackle and why I didn't do my assignment, he looked at me in my face and he told me, son, don't make excuses, make plays. And it was literally one of those things where I realized that too often I was looking to make an excuse about why I did or didn't do something. And what I needed to do was get so focused on making plays that an excuse is the last thing I have time to think about. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. Slow down. (laughs) I would tell me to slow down. Um, I was in such a rush to arrive that I may have overlooked the process. Um, I may have overlooked uh, relationships, and I would tell the 20-year-old me to slow down. Uh, There's wisdom in waiting, uh, because if you're not prepared to get to the next step, then you won't maximize that opportunity. You'll squander it. Hogan, what's and this is uh, part B of the question. I'm just curious, because so many of us have so much anxiety as we sprint through our days and sprint toward retirement and sprint through the jobs and sprint through the carpool lines. What what advice would you offer for those of us who also need to hear the word slow down? What What's a practical way to actually get us to catch our breath and slow down? I think it's a matter of understanding that our kids ultimately, um, our friends ultimately, uh, they won't remember the clothes that we wear. They won't remember where we ate dinner. Uh, but that people remember how you made them feel. Um, people will remember that. And if you've been to a funeral or you've heard a eulogy, people are always talking about how this Mm -hmm. person was for them, Mm -hmm. what they did. And so I just think it's one of those that even in the midst of being busy, I just want to remind people to be intentional. Uh, Carve out the time to just sit and talk to your son or your daughter. And if you haven't talked to them in years, just text them (laughs) and you be the person to go first and just call them uh, and just say, hey, just wanted to call to tell you I love you or I was thinking about you. Too often times I think we look and we think people always want something from us, and let's be the kind of people that bring something to them and give things to them, even if it's words or just a moment of kindness. Mm. Well, it's a tie-in perfectly to the final question, as you talked about obituaries and eulogies. So the final question, Chris Hogan, is it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you want your one sentence to read? Hmm. Um, I would probably say, John, that life is about opportunities. Uh, Grab opportunities, maximize opportunities, and please, please share as many opportunities as you can. Well, Chris Hogan, tell us one more time the, the, the name of your beautiful book. 
Yes, sir. It is entitled Retire Inspired. It's not an age. It's a financial number. Uh, and my friends, it is available right now. Check it out. Check out my friend Chris Hogan. The cycle ends here is the motto and the mantra that we will be screaming as we get ready to turn this podcast on and step back into our days. So Chris Hogan, my friend, thank you for joining us on the Live Inspired episode. Thank you, my friend. It was an honor to be with you. And my friends, that was Chris Hogan. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Retire and live inspired. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did, and I don't know how you could listen to a baritone man like Chris Hogan and not be lit up in the great possibility of not only your retirement and your finances, but your life. I don't think you can do retirement or finance as well if our life itself is out of whack. So listen to Chris, but listen to it in the context of how it impacts everything we do, the choices we make, the decision to not make excuses, the decision to make plays, to show up and to be on fire with the truth that the cycle ends here. The cycle ends here. It's a great reminder. It may be my primary one from this takeaway. If you are enjoying these episodes and this podcast as much as I enjoy bringing it to you, and it looks like now we have a couple hundred thousand people tuning in to the Live Inspired Network. The reason they tune in is because of your likes. It's because of your shares. It's because you are commenting online, and it's because you're telling your neighbors, your friends, people you worship with, people you hang out with, that it's not all bad news out there that there is reason for hope and there's a clear next step. Thank you for sharing the Live Inspired podcast. And as your friend, keep sharing it. We're trying to make a difference. And the only way that we can really make a profound difference in the marketplace is with your help. So help us yell from the rooftops that the Live Inspired podcast is here, that it is on fire, and that it is people's time. It's their day to wake up from accidental living, and it's time to start living inspired. My friends, for this time... And until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired.